So Money episode 1102, Danitha Doe, founder of Money and Mimosas. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Me creating the space was, in hindsight, a form of resistance to what I was seeing out there, as well as I do firmly believe that we each hold the power of charting our own path to financial freedom. And for me, this is my path. Um, I had to create this space that I call Money and Mimosas in order to define freedom for myself and to find freedom for myself. Our guest today calls herself a magic maker, money maker, and dream maker. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest today is Denitha Doe. She's the creator of Money and Mimosas and host of the Money, Sex, Power podcast. Money and Mimosas is a financial well-being resource. Denitha herself was named a personal finance expert by Time, Fast Company, and the Wall Street Journal. Her work has been featured in Entrepreneur, Elle, NBC, and many other media platforms. She's a former NFL cheerleader turned money maven and entrepreneur, and she believes that charting your own path is the key to financial freedom. Her perspectives about personal finance are unique, and that's why I wanted to have her on this show. She looks at money through the lens of personal sovereignty, being true to her womanhood, and fun fact... She's highly skilled at money readings. She teaches how to create a money sex power reading. It describes a person's innate currency, money blocks, unique sales style. She actually did one for me and my husband. And let me tell you, it was spot on. And there were some things there that I had to take a cold, hard look at, but were nonetheless very true. Here we go. Here's Denitha Doe. Denitha Doe, welcome to So Money. I, I really should have had a mimosa with me. What was I thinking for this episode? Oh like I actually had a mimosa <laughs> this weekend for the first time in my 40s. Um, <laughs> welcome well, the to the show. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you today and super honored to be a part of your podcast. I've been following your work for a while for a new, so this Aww. is definitely an honor. Well, I am a, a new fan. I've arrived to Money Mimosas recently, and I've been really enjoying your content on social. And I know that you just parted ways with Instagram. We'll talk about that in a minute. But let's talk about where you are right now, because before we were recording, you kind of mentioned that you and your fiance have been Airbnb hopping in a pandemic. Tell me how this is working out and the logistics. I think it's cool, but I want to know like how you're actually doing this safely. Absolutely. I, my fiance and I decided that with everything going on, that this was the time to explore a lifestyle that we've always wanted to explore, which is do more traveling and, and not be tied to one particular area. So we originally were living in the Bay Area, specifically Oakland, California, for the last eight-ish years. And then, as everyone knows, COVID-19 happened. And thankfully, I had been working from home for since 2014. So I haven't been impacted much professionally because of that. My 
Beyonce, he works for a company that decided that everyone can work from home until at least July 2021. And we took that as an invitation to do like what I said was just to hop around Airbnb. So we were renting a place, a gorgeous place in um, Oakland. I absolutely loved it, but it was time to move. So we we ended our our lease and then um, we are now Airbnb hopping, like you said. So each month we're going to a new Airbnb. Currently, we're in Bend, Oregon. Eventually, we'll make our way to Utah. And then we're thinking Sedona, Arizona, once the weather starts getting really cool um, or chillier. As far as being safe, yes, absolutely. We have been practicing social distancing well, since COVID-19, although prior to COVID-19, we're both somewhat of introverts. So we were kind of practicing social distancing before then. Um, and with this new lifestyle, when we go to a new place, we don't know anybody. So we're not hanging out with mm-hmm. with people. We do a lot of biking. We do a lot of hiking, which is just the two of us. And so logistically, it's a matter of finding an Airbnb, renting it, and then driving to the location. Um, and that's that's how we're making it work. And where's all your stuff? So we sold a lot of our things and we put some of our stuff in a five by five storage in the Bay Area. And then anything that could fit in the car, we've taken with us. So for me, that means books, of course, my laptop, some clothes. And and we have some kitchen appliances um, in case the Airbnb doesn't have everything that we need. But our current place, for instance, has more than what we need. So we haven't had to use, we won't need our kitchen appliances here. And then we both have bikes and those, those went on the back of the car. So that's, that's what we're doing with our stuff. You know, I was going to have you on the show to talk about money mimosas. This is like super fascinating. Maybe we'll spend the whole, I'm kidding. We won't spend the whole half hour talking about your Airbnb ventures, but I guess it's a great time to be doing what you're doing in an odd way. It's an op, like you said, an invitation to explore the country. And are there things that you and your fiance are realizing? Like you mentioned clothing and sorry, my son just bursted in. Evan, I'm on. I'm I'm telling you. I'm bending. I'm retired. You're retired? Okay, did you hear that? My son's retired. <laughs> okay, bye, Evan. Can you please close my door on your way out? Thank you. We'll talk about your retirement when I'm done. He literally just bursted in here and said, I'm retired. Bye. <laughs> I need financial tips from him. Yeah, right? That's How are you retired great. and I'm not? <laughs> At least he hilarious. It's like, did he know that I was recording a podcast and that we were talking about money? So he wanted to say something somewhat financial to sound (laughs) like he was in the mix of what was being. Okay, sorry about that. I may or may not delete this in the podcast. It's this is so fascinating. Here I am thinking I'm going to have Danitha Doe on the show to talk about money and mimosas and money, sex and power. And I keep asking all these Airbnb questions. But this is, to your point, kind of an invitation right now to explore the country. If you are in the camp where you and your fiance are in, where you, know, you work from home, you're not really tied down to any particular place. Have you guys discovered, I've been asking this um, on social media What are some expenses that you think once everything goes back to quote unquote normal or new normal that we're, you're not going to make again? You know, we've already been cutting down on so much just out of necessity because we can't, for example, you know, go into a restaurant and eat every out every night. But what are some expenses that you're like, oh, that was, that was egregious 
And I'm not going to go back to making this expense over and over again in post-COVID world. Mm, That is a great question. For me, I've realized I can live with less clothes. Not to say that I spent a lot of money on clothes. Actually, I really didn't. Um, But that is something moving forward that um, will be more of a, those types of purchases will be more actually probably more high ends. I'm going to invest in quality clothing rather than, you know, random t-shirts or tank tops. That's one change that I believe I'll make moving forward. Uh, Conversely, on the other side, related to your question, but different perspective, I, I've realized that I love beauty experiences and I used to spend um, at least once a month Um, getting some sort of spa treatment. And I really miss that. And I'm not sure what that'll look like in the future. For instance, my esthetician back in Oakland, she still hasn't been able to open up her location. And so I'm not sure for me what my spa experiences are going to look like. So moving forward um, and currently now, I've been investing in products that I can use at home, getting really good at making Mm -hmm. beauty products in the kitchen um, and just doing what I need to do to still feel feel good in my body. Yeah. Well, I will say not having to put on makeup every day for work has given me actually better skin <laughs> and just the lower maintenance, uh, the, the less I am doing to my skin. I think that is helping and not requiring me to buy all the masks and all the you know, makeup removers and things like that. But yeah, I do miss the pampering. I'm going to need a lot of that post-COVID. All right, let's move on. Money and Mimosas is a company that you launched as a money, sex, and power educator. This is a financial well-being resource, and you've got readers in all all the countries, and you have been recognized by Time, Fast Company, The Wall Street Journal. Tell me about how this started, this, and why why is it called Money and Mimosas? Yeah, Money and Mimosas started in 2014, and it's definitely been an evolution. It didn't start as a money, sex, and power. I certainly didn't start off as a money, sex, and power educator, and the content on Money and Mimosas has been a reflection of my evolution as a woman. Um, it started simply because I wanted to be rich. I wanted to figure out how to make a lot of money doing what I love doing and not have to sacrifice I, my high-end desires. And I couldn't find a resource that really spoke to me in the fullness of my womanhood as I defined it then. And it certainly has expanded. That definition of what womanhood means to me has expanded since 2014. But definitely in 2014, I couldn't find anything that addressed my love for beauty, my love for um, having mimosa dates with my girlfriends, my love for understanding the behavioral economic the psychological side of why I was spending money, in addition to all the tactical aspects of finances as well. And I really wanted a one place where I could go for all that information. So I couldn't find it. So I created it. And in Money and Mimosas, the name came from I, I love money and I love mimosas. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I recommend doing a weekly money day. I do mine on Fridays where I review my finances and I do treat myself to a mimosa afterwards. So 
all of that rolled into this, which what started as a passion project, um, which is now now my main source of revenue. What does rich mean to you? And and while we're at it, what does womanhood mean to you? I'd love to hear you define those those terms for yourself personally. Rich, I like to use the definition that's the the original definition of wealth to define rich for myself. So the original definition of wealth includes well-being as well as financial resources. So for me to feel rich, um, rich means having the resources I need to feel good in my body. And a lot of times that includes financial resources. Um, Womanhood for me, I'm so glad you're asking this. I'm in the midst of redefining what womanhood, the fullness of my womanhood means to me. And right now, what I am working with, working through is integrating all aspects of myself. Um, I, I'm tired. I've been tired for a long time of compartmentalizing myself to be one person in a professional setting and another person when I'm with my friends. And so womanhood right now is me looking at all sides of myself, especially the parts that are deemed unacceptable or perhaps forbidden and incorporating that and integrating that into every aspect Mm -hmm. of my life. I uh, saw a a guy wearing a t-shirt the other day that said, vote in this election as if you were a black woman. I think that's important message. I just did an interview the other day with, um, on the topic of the economics that, that concern black women and how much power black women hold in our economic system in this country as entrepreneurs, as breadwinners, chief breadwinners in their household. As a black woman, what are, what's important to you and what, what kind of change do you want to see? I mean, you talked earlier about like looking for resources and looking for someone to sort of share advice and wisdom around your version of financial wellness and you couldn't find it. And I wonder if that's, if that has anything to do with the racial inequality we have in as far as like who's giving the advice right now in the world. Oh, absolutely. I, this is, Certainly a nuanced question. There are a lot of pieces to it. I will say absolutely the reason why I couldn't find a resource out there was because the majority of the people who provide financial education, or at least those that are heralded as the experts, are white men and white women. And why they do not include some of the aspects that I was looking for, that is a a longer conversation. Um, And me creating the space was, in hindsight, a form of resistance to what I was seeing out there, as well as I do firmly believe that we each hold the power of charting our own path to financial freedom. And for me, this is my path. Um, I had to create this space that I call money and mimosas in order to define freedom for myself and to find freedom for myself. So it's twofold. There's certainly, it was certainly a response to not seeing myself in the marketplace. And I'm also very much aware that that's part of the journey that I I signed up for in this human body. You started out as a cheerleader, professional cheerleader for the NFL. Tell me about that time in your life. The most I know about NFL cheerleaders is what I've read in the New York Times investigation pieces, like how underpaid they are and the sexual discrimination that happens. And 
just wondering like, what was your experience? Cause that's all I know, <laughs> uh, you know, as well as like, it's, it's very competitive and it's really, you know, a dream come true for so many of the women who get to that point. And yet um, it can also be a nightmare. Being an NFL cheerleader was all of those things. A lot of the investigative pieces that you've probably read, I, in hindsight, realized that that was also part of the experience going through it. I didn't feel it, uh, but certainly in hindsight, reflecting on it, I could sense that that was of course, a part of my experience. For me, being an NFL cheerleader was interesting. It's a, it's a reflection of how I do a lot of things in life in that I don't necessarily have all the answers or necessarily all of the, the acceptable forms of training to jump into an experience, but I go head first into it. And with NFL cheerleading, I had no dance experience. I did not grow up taking dance classes. I grew up running track. I did not... I did not know anything about being a dancer, but I saw the women on the fields during a game. Actually, I was watching TV. I cheered for the Indianapolis Colts and they had just won the Super Bowl. And I caught a glimpse of the women cheering and I thought, oh, my gosh, they look so pretty. They look like they're having so much fun. I want to do that. And I decided to join the audition process the following year. It was a grueling audition process. And the whole time, I didn't think I was going to actually make it. I just wanted the experience of feeling pretty, dancing on the fields. And lo and behold, I ended up making the squad and I, I cheered for two seasons with that team. And, and I had a lot of fun. I, I must say I had a lot of fun. Absolutely looking back, especially now, what I know about money and the dynamics of the NFL Certainly, we were underpaid and certainly taken advantage of. And I will also say um, that I did have a lot of fun with that experience. There's nothing that rush that um, I experienced cheering in front of a crowd of 50,000 people there. I haven't found that experience again. And, and I'm really grateful um, for that time. And at the same time, absolutely, the the structure around the cheerleading elements of the NFL. And I would even say the NBA dancers as well. They are definitely underpaid and, and something needs to change around that. One of the things that really differentiates you from the sea of financial experts out there is that you really take it to a whole other level. When you, when you give advice, you want to know about not just the person, but you want to know about their astrology. I know that when I reached out to you to have you on this show, you said, I don't know, Farnoosh, I'm a little more woo-woo than some of your other guests. I have a method, a methodology that may or may not jive with your you and your audience. And I was like, bring it on, Danitha. I want to know. Like, You asked me for my birth date, my date of uh, the time of my birth and where I was born. And from that was able to extract, well, you explain it, like, what are you, what are you extracting from that? Yes, I, and I'm so happy that you were open to it. Yes, I, really I loved it. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get it framed because I really, you know, I, there was a lot of good and there was some, you know, stuff in there that really makes you take an honest look at yourself and go, yeah, that, that sounds like me. I didn't really want to admit it, but it is, it is, True. And I'm not really like a super spiritual person, but I totally appreciate uh, reading this sort of material. And so, yeah, tell me about your process and, and what you're really um, extracting when you when you dive into this into this astrological space. Definitely. So for those that are new to 
astrology. Many people are familiar with their sun sign, for instance. You know, you're a Taurus, you're a Leo, in your case, Harnish, you're an Aquarius. Um, we, most of us are familiar with that aspect of our astrology, but there are so many more elements related to our astrological makeup. And your astrological makeup, as I understand it, is the cosmic imprint on your soul at the moment you took your first breath. Meaning, so even if someone isn't a spiritual person or if soul doesn't resonate with you, just think of when a being, a human, takes their first breath after they've been born, they take their first breath in their human body, the location of the planets are all situated at a very specific place at that moment. And so even for someone who has a sun sign Aquarius, for instance, all of the other signs are also present at that moment you took your first breath. And the planets like Mars or um, Pluto are all situated at a particular place as soon as you take your first breath. And the reason why I started incorporating this into my work is because I started to, I've always worked with folks around their emotional connection to money, the psychological connection to money. I studied economics in school. I particularly gravitate towards behavioral economics. And I was coming up against this, what I call a block when trying to connect with someone and trying to understand what truly is driving their behavior. That for me is the biggest question that I'm always asking myself. That's why I hesitate calling myself a financial expert, I'm more interested in what drives behavior, what motivates people. Why do some people seem to um, take, take a leap of faith and become an entrepreneur versus someone else who says they want to do that, but they don't do that? Like, what is the difference between those two people? And not to say that astrology answers that question completely, but astrology was a tool that I um, that I was introduced to, to help me better understand why someone is who they are. There are aspects, any of us that's in a romantic relationship, I've been with my fiance for uh, almost nine years now. There are aspects of him that just come with the package. <laughs> and there are aspects of me that just come with the package. And I found in my experience in my work with astrology that that package is very much related to how the stars and the planets and the, the various signs, the zodiac signs were all situated when they took their first breath. So bringing it back to money, I created a money sex power framework to better articulate and communicate to someone who wants to get to that next level, particularly in their financial life. Um, and I, I believe everything's connected. So your financial life, your sex life, um, in order to break through that next level, like you said, when you read your reading, we have to look at the hard stuff. We have to look at the elements within us that are in our unconscious, because until we do, we will never get to that place that we want to get to. Um, there's a great quote by the psychologist um, Carl Jung, who is the known as the father of the unconscious. His quote is, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will run your life and you will call it fate. Mm. And so that's what the framework is all about. It's about bringing the things that are in the dark to the light so we can start working with it and alchemizing it. 
it's a magical process, alchemizing it to create, to create money, to create whatever we, we want to create. I'll read everybody a little bit of my money um, reading. And it says, as an Aquarius, your innate currency is sharpening minds. You highly value intellect. Specifically for you, your placement is in the house of money and assets. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, I don't think you made this up. (laughs) (laughs) You have a deep desire to focus on community rather than the self. Here's where it gets interesting. It says... Living in your head feels safe and you often retreat there, which manifests as appearing standoffish. This is so true. I don't like to think of myself as standoffish, but I I can say that I probably give off that vibe. And I do live in my head because I find a lot of comfort in trying to problem solve and rash. I feel like there's a solution for everything. And if I just think about something hard enough and like, you know, analyze enough that I'll, I'll come to the right choice. And I find a lot of comfort in that process. And my father is a scientist, big, a lot of science in my family, um, science minds. And so I think that's, I, I, that's what I think of when I, when I read that, but it's true. Like my dad is standoffish. I, you know, can come across as not interested, but I'm just maybe not fully present because I'm, I'm in my head. Um, it's not personal, but, uh, and then uh, this is interesting. Your power lies in healing deep trauma and grief. So is that to suggest that I have a gift for helping others work through their grief? Mm. What does that mean? That means, so the power part of the money, sex, and power framework is the aspects of our self that we want to shine a light on in order to discover our own power. Now, you are definitely in your power zone. You're doing exactly what you were born to do. I think you said <laughs> I was, uh, it's written in the stars. I loved how you phrased that, that you are doing what you're doing, sharpening minds around money is exactly what you're supposed to be doing, which is so exciting. Amazing. Really, really exciting. Really excited reading. Um, you're doing your reading. The power piece, that is, um, I'm going to answer your question in two parts because I love that you phrased the question in that way. So the first part is that work around the power aspect of our chart is the work we need to do on ourselves in order to truly tap into our power. Mm. Oh, wow. Once you do that, yes, you can perhaps have the ability that may be part of your path to help introduce others to um, tools or ways to unpack their own trauma and grief and Mm -hmm. alchemize that to enhance their own power. But it first starts with self. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I've never been through a therapy session. I, like everyone, of course, harbor grief and trauma from growing up. I think, I mean, I don't think anyone's had a perfect childhood. And I think as you get older, you have to, you can't ignore that stuff, right? It shows up and you have, you can't just keep burying it and, you know, hiding it under the rug. Like it's going to like haunt you in your sleep. My thought was, I'm going to channel all that and do comedy because, you know, a lot of people know I started doing stand up comedy a couple of years ago and it's been a while. Like I kind of didn't do it and I've not done it in 2020, but hoping to get back into it. But I I feel like for me, the way to sort of find peace with that was to storytell and do humorous storytelling. So I don't know if that's legit, but it's it's been helpful. It's been my way of finding my healing. 
Beautiful. Yes. There, there isn't a right or wrong approach to working with our own, to doing our own healing. And yeah, comedian, comedic work is definitely there. So much. I was just watching this amazing Latina comedian. I think it's on Netflix, Christella. She is, I can't remember her last name. She's the voice of a character in Cars 3. She's the voice of the yellow car. I can't remember the name of the yellow car, but she's a female Latina comedian, actress. She, I think, had the first, she was the first Latina to sell a TV script, a scripted TV series, uh, kind of by based on her upbringing. I've been asking her to come on this podcast. She has not replied, but she uses her comedy. She started doing comedy later in life because for her, it was a way to kind of reconcile her entire upbringing, which was f- full of trauma. I mean, single mother. Uh, four, three or four kids, abusive father who left them growing up in poverty. She um, has so much pain that she reveals through her comedy. I love her. I love her for it. So anyway, everyone check out Christella. Thank you so much for doing that reading that I love all that stuff. It just sort of in, in the, the best case scenario is it is it reaffirms what you think is true about you. And it also brings to light some of the things that maybe you've been ignoring. So thank you for that. Is this something that people can work with you on -on one-on-one? How does your, how does your business work? What is the structure? Sure. I no longer do one-on-one work. I did that for many, many years, which helped, which really helped me better understand human nature. Um, So I'm grateful for that time period. Now the work that I do, I'm a writer. I love writing. So I work with companies as a freelance writer. And then um, those that are interested in this type of approach to finances are able to work with me in a, in a, in a non-private way. I have a group called Money Makers, which is a group format um, where you can get these types of trainings and, and work with it on your own. And you recently left social media, at least Instagram, which, I mean, I loved following you on, on the gram, but it really, you said it wasn't like the ROI just wasn't there for you. Yes. I, so I left Facebook in June and then I was planning on leaving Instagram in December. And then I just, I, I move with spirit, which is not something that can necessarily be articulated in words. Uh, I just realized that now is the time to move today. The day that we're recording at least is also the full moon, full moon in Pisces, which is pretty powerful. Uh, so I, I have a sense that has something related to that energy, but ultimately, yes, the ROI wasn't there. I think I shared on my post less than 2% of our revenue at Money and Mimosas is generated through Instagram. And that's, um, that's not the, that, that's actually not uncommon for brands that have multiple ways of reaching people. I mean, the basis of our reach is word of mouth, which is, not scientific necessarily in nature, but we found a pretty a pretty awesome way of of utilizing the power of word of mouth. So Instagram for us is less than two percent of in terms of what we can track when it comes to revenue. And um, across the board, and I I've worked with a number of companies, tech companies, um, specifically fintech companies, and even for those that have Instagram as their main 
revenue driver. Um, it's still between two to five percent of the followers will convert into paid some sort of paid customer. Um, and that's those are the numbers I've looked at. That's certainly not to suggest that that's everyone's experience. Um, but for me, with all of that information, I just realized the amount of energy and time I was putting into it just it no longer made sense. And it also didn't it wasn't fun anymore. You know, if it doesn't make money and it's not bringing me yeah. joy, I'm like, why am I still doing this? <laughs> well, you know, I went to this seminar last fall with all these different entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs. And one of the, um, the like table exercises was imagine that Facebook goes away overnight because the government shuts it down and Facebook accounted for, you know, X majority of your revenue. What now? And we were all like, oh my God, don't say, don't say it is so, you know, and then, then the pandemic happened, which was even worse than we could imagine. Like, like we figured out what would happen if Facebook went away. We're like, oh, we'll just do like, you know, the mail. And it's, it's good for everyone to think about, you know, this pandemic has, uh, for many businesses, been a rude and fast awakening to the the importance of knowing how to make money in different ways, as opposed to just the one model and being nimble and and being uh, able to pivot. Uh, but it's good to sort of have these worst case scenarios in the back of your mind. And what would happen if you know social media went away? What would happen if a cyber war and you can't get on the internet for a year? What then? Everyone's yeah. like going to be hoarding cash now after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Savings rates are going to spike. <laughs> right. <laughs> I definitely do that thought experiment as well. Uh, I think it, it's worth looking at it. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's great to reflect on what would you do in certain situations for myself. One of the major takeaways from this experience that we're all in is just that nothing is guaranteed. And to continue to live in that false reality that I can expect something to always be the same is, is not setting me up for success. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, I, I appreciate, you know, you bringing that to the table and really thinking about what would life look like if there was a, a cyber attack or, or something else that, that completely wiped out uh, a business like mine, which is now has been 100% online for several years. Mm-hmm. Well, to end on a positive note, on a less frightening note, tell us where we can find you and something exciting that's uh, happening, you know, personally or professionally for you in 2020 that we can all celebrate. Ooh, I love this. Well, everyone can find me on moneyandmimosas.com. I want to say thank you again, Farnoosh, for this opportunity to connect with you and to share share my perspective on finances. Um, so yeah, if, if this what I shared resonated. You can find out more about my work over at moneymimosas.com. I am this year, I am really excited about all the work that I've been doing around. It's going to perhaps seem really boring, but just knowing who I am, being really true to myself. And that's something that's been really exciting and really fun. And, and yes, we did talk about some heavy stuff today. And I do want to say that money and mimosas, mimosas is in the word or in the name because it is, there's a lot of fun in it as well. Yes. Well, I applaud you and um, really thank you for all that you're putting out in the world. 
your inspiration, your spirit, your shining light. Thank you, Denitha Doe. Thanks so much to Denitha Doe for joining me. Her website again is called moneyandmimosas.com. All this information is on the So Money Podcast website. You can also grab the transcript and the audio and click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your questions for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. Money.